Today is July 12th, 2016, and this is episode 4 of the MechaCast. Please, if you have any comments or questions, send them to themechacast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Stitcher or SoundCloud and rate us on iTunes. Today we'll be covering episodes 6 and 7 of Mobile Suit Gundam, episode 6, Garma Strikes, and episode 7, The Core Fighters Escape. I'm Donovan. This is Matt. And welcome to the MechaCast. So, let's go ahead and get in our summaries. There's a lot going on in these two episodes, and I want to try to get to it quickly. So, episode 6, Garma Strikes. The episode begins with Char and Garma discussing the white base. Garma speaks about proving his work to his sister, Cassilia. On the white base, everyone prepares for battle as Bright and Lieutenant Reed argue over what to do with Amro. Reed wants to attack using the Gundam. Bright feels that Amro needs to rest. Eventually, Amro makes a decision himself and goes in the gun tank with Hayato. Amro switches to the Gundam as the gun tank's limited mobility proves to be a problem while facing Garma's forces. He promptly destroys most of the enemies attacking despite the intense variation in gravity. Through the course of the battle, Amro goes into an intense rage. After the battle, Amro ignores the rest of the congratulatory white base and heads to his quarters to lie in the dark. Meanwhile, Garma feels he has a successful plan of attack. Episode 7, The Core Fighters Escape. The white base has been given a small window of breathing room to regroup amidst the constant battles. This bit of time forces the ship's elderly to take action as they are ready to set foot on the earth, but bright reasons that they can't leave them in Xeon territory. After analyzing the specs on the Gundam, Garma and Char are surprised that they've done as well as they have. They plan another attack before the white base can regroup. The elderly can take an opportunity or take and opportunity to strike and take Fraubo and the children hostage. This proves a distraction as Amro hatches a plan to launch the core fighter to the Federation territory using the ship's catapult. Char intercepts Amro before he can escape and forces him to retreat back to base. Bright and the rest of the crew hold off the elderly at gunpoint to a standoff. Char and Amro battle again after switching to mobile suits before once more falling back. The episode ends with Amro snapping at the elderly for their behavior and threatening to quit piloting the Gundam. So, let's talk about Garmish Strikes. This episode picks right back up where the first one or where the last one left off. They just descended into Earth's atmosphere and almost immediately we have a new antagonist. What's your opinion on Garma as a character? Uh, you can tell that he's very inexperienced. Uh, he's young, like Char. They, you can, uh, they have a history together, um, and he's he comes from. Uh, he's very Ivy League. He's very preppy individual. Like if he if he went to school now, he would, you know, have a, a nice haircut and wear a sweater or tied around his neck. Right. <laughs> that's kind of a. That's a sense I get too, and that's a sense I'm getting with a lot of these uh, zombies, I guess. And their family in general, as they all come from affluence, and there's a lot of nepotism involved with their, I guess, them being spread out through the Xeon military forces. Mm-hmm. And for him in particular, you said on um, first impressions, he seems to be inexperienced. Yeah, I would say so. I guess compared to Char, then. Yeah, and it might just be his looks, too. I think he was designed that way to look 
very sort of innocent because I mean he has the the long the, the, this very seventies looking hairstyle. Uh, just a very you know pretty boy. Yeah, well, Char's a pretty boy, and we know you know he's got a little bite. He's to got go a little this edge bar. to it. Yeah, yeah, a little edge to him. He's the, he's the dark member of the uh, of the group. Sink. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, he does have the mask. Yeah, the <laughs> mysterious. The ladies love a mystery. <laughs> but aside from that, Char starts to reveal some of his motivations here in his interactions with Garma. And we see that as Garma goes for the attack, he's got far more troops than Char ever had at his disposal. Mm-hmm. And he simu- or he goes on to subsequently struggle against the Gunna much in the same way Char has. Mm-hmm. Char reflects on this with this right-hand man, Dren, that Garma's, ba- or Garma's defeat here will, um, will only serve to make his look better in comparison. Yeah, their relationship is only basically in formalities that kind of define sort of meeting people in, in the upper crust of society. You meet people and you say hey and you pretend to care about each other, but, you you know, you really don't. But for Garma, I feel like he actually thinks Jar is his friend. Yeah, I think he, he thinks there's like a good-natured sort of rivalry between them, I feel. You think? Does that make any sense? They're kind of like they're both from the academy, so he's like, well, we're both ambitious people, Garma being from the Zabi family and Char being just a ambitious individual. I think, you know, anybody well, can just no, see yeah, that. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I think he thinks uh, there's some competition between them, but in the end, they're some sort of friends, and I feel like that's the exact opposite, how Char really sees it. Yeah, because at first when I was introduced to Garma here, I thought he and Char were friends. Yeah. And so Char quickly... This could be me watching it in hindsight as well. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. Because Char quickly, he he recants on that by saying, is Garma out in his his suit? And obviously, he's kind of implying that I wonder if he'll get killed here. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, um, I guess, Char doesn't really show any emotions on whether that be a good thing or a bad thing for him. Yeah. He's just kind of, I guess he's curious, but I feel like his standing might definitely improve uh, if Karma gets shot down here, whereas he has encountered this suit several times and has lived. Mm -hmm. So one of the major themes of this episode in particular, I find, is battle fatigue, the stress and PTSD involved with war. Oh, which parts of it were the... I mean, I definitely get the battle stress, and we can talk about that, but what specifically are you referring to with PTSD? Well, Amra, I think he he had kind of a break there. And I'm not sure if if the weight of the previous battles is starting to weigh on us. Just recall the scene. I, I don't... I okay, well, in the, middle of the, uh, in the middle of the battle with the ground forces, after he has sort of a... Um, a scare. He's getting hammered on by all sides. By they're not mobile suits, but they mm-hmm. are grunts, and there's a lot of them. And the fire's taking its toll. And all of a sudden, he just goes into rage mode, mm-hmm. starts slicing people apart with uh, his beam savers, not even stop stopping for long. And then he gets to a point where he's just wailing at the ground to this suit that's been destroyed already. 
Yeah. Even as that similar thing where he takes the Zaku, a Zaku pie mask and rips it off and tosses it into another. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that's just Ryu stock footage. <laughs> yeah. But, but I mean, he definitely has some sort of break there, and I'm not sure if that's post-traumatic stress related or that's... See, without, you know, a degree in psychology here, I can't be sure. But yeah, if I it's would, the previous battles weighing on him or if it's just the current situation. I think it's the current situation. I, I don't think that would be described as post-traumatic stress disorder just because that has to be, like, a long time. Because he's still in danger. Yeah, right? you're right. It's post-traumatic. You're right. So, but it's it's stress disorder he's definitely under a lot of stress and you can like i think you're referring to you can tell he's he's breaking right here and you even tell at the end of the episode when everyone comes up to congratulate him and say all right you saved our lives again he he just has none of it Mm -hmm. and even the little kids he sends them away frabo checks in on them he sends he just dismisses her off the bat you know when does he accept her though Huh? <laughs> when does he ever want Fraubo around? Oh, the next episode he does. Very briefly. Yeah. Uh, if you if you blink, you might miss it. But <laughs> there's, there was a connection there. It's my one true pairing. I'm Ron <laughs> Childhood friend route. Don't, don't watch Zeta Gundam then. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, he kind of goes to try and fix his issues by standing or I guess, putting himself off in isolation, seclusion... He goes, I guess, I'm not sure how he's doing physically right now, so there's definitely a mental constraint there, but mm-hmm. he's got to be worn out, which is kind of the crux of the disagreement between Lieutenant Reed and Bright. Bright says, uh, we, we need to let him rest. We need to let him take a breather. He can't keep going like this. Whereas Reed's like, we need to send the Gundam out. Mm-hmm. And for once, I actually fall on the side of Reed. Despite how Amro's feeling, it's either they send them out to fight or they all die. Yeah, because if the white base gets destroyed, it doesn't matter if the Gundam's yeah, around or not. Yeah, right. And, you know, I definitely believe that it was right, sincerely looking out for the health of Amro, but he's just kind of wrong in this case. Too much of his emotions getting in the way of his leading. I guess so. And is he really in command of this ship right now? I guess from a hierarchical standpoint, no, but I have to think that all the people on the ship and the civilians from side side seven, side yeah. seven, they um they would respond to him before they ever listened to an order by Reed. Mm-hmm. So some design things here: the Earth battle. What do you think of it? I thought you said, or I remember you stating it was. Probably one of your favorites so far. No, that was sort of the descending to Earth battle in the previous episode. Right, right. That was that was one of my favorites. But this one was uh, there's some like you pointed out. There's some really wonky animation here. Yeah, there's definitely some moments when he's going uh, carving up those uh, gun tanks. Well, not gun tanks, but tanks that the Xeon forces yeah. use. Uh, that it just kind of gets warped and distorted. And yeah, I'm but it's kind of sh- cool. It's it's. I think they were doing that to save money, but it ends up kind of being reflecting Amro's emotional state a little bit. I oh, think. we're we're going that deep with it. I mean, I think in a way. I don't. I'm not saying you know definitely that, but I I think it, it's a nice touch that that 
it can be unintentional or intentionally or unintentionally kind of benefits the scene a little bit. Well, I think that's fair. I mean, no writer ever plans everything out that the critics see in their work, mm-hmm. but they're never gonna def- uh, they're never gonna refute the critics who come up with something interesting. So. Also, like the you know, whenever his face kind of becomes transparent, you see the was it the the black screen in the background? It kind of puts his face yeah. in this contrast that makes it seem like he's. He's uh, kind of unleashed the beast, so to speak. Right, and he, he makes him pay. Yeah. He single-handedly, you know, throws off and Yeah, this is the most people we've seen him, like, destroy in, Such a, uh, in one episode, I think, or one battle. I know we have sort of disagreements on this, but everything I've read or uh, listened to thus far about this series has always said one of the better parts of it is Amro is just a very skilled pilot and sort of the work he does relies on that skill more so than it does the Gundam itself. That is false. Uh, yes and no. Uh, remember it is still a children's cartoon. So they need to have some action and destruction. So it can't just be like completely tactical. So he's got to destroy, there's got to be explosions for the kids. But, like, seriously, we can go through an episode, a regular fight episode of Wing or something like that, and then compare it to this, and I still think you'll find that Mobile Suit Gundam, the original, will have the, the lower, the lower suit, or the lower damage count by a, a far greater number. I, see, I kind of... My disagreement in that is more of the fact that you can't excuse something here just because of how it's compared to something that comes later. That's kind of judging it in hindsight, which... Well, I could see, but I could... Because that's mainly a criticism that's leveled at Wing. Right. And I get that. That, like, after... Because to me, no matter how much is destroyed, there's still a lot of weight to these battles. Like we said, that was so compelling when we saw Amro kind of go crazy. But... With Wing, you kind of get some kind of battle fatigue because you know that they can, they've destroyed, you know, they've destroyed hundreds of suits at a time. So whenever there's, you know, 50 mobile dolls incoming or whatever, you're like, well, there's like two of them there. So <laughs> it's going to be no problem. Or in uh, G Gundam, whenever Master Asia takes down two Gundams with a scarf. <laughs> <laughs> but unlike Gundam Wing, G Gundam doesn't really. I think level itself in reality as much. Fair enough. I guess my main complaint is that to all those saying that it's it's Amro and he's just that badass. No, there's a lot of there. There's a lot of just I don't know which would you say just uh, retroactive pumping up. Like I don't know. That's what are you trying to say? It's not. No, it's not. At the end of the day, it's not really that tactical or realistic. In terms of how a giant robot would actually, I guess, fight. But there, therein lies the other thing, is that at the end of the day, if we had giant robots, these would not be the giant robots no, we have. No, it wouldn't. We, we probably just, giant robots are extremely inefficient and a drain on resources. Yeah, actually that's something that's I was thinking about it earlier that's weird about First Gundam compared to the other Gundams, is that um, this Gundam... This first Gundam in the first series doesn't really have a jetpack, nor do the Zakus really have jetpacks. So a lot of the battles they kind of 
free fall, but if you notice in other Gundam series, they give them a lot more thrusters and stuff so they can do the crazy aerial combat. Yeah. Because, like, they, you really don't have much ground combat in other Gundam series, if you think about it. Like, the Gundam, like, actually walking on the ground and fighting things. I think that's going to become a little more relevant in the next episode, but that's a, that's a sharp uh, observation there. Yeah. All right, so... Beyond this, not a whole lot going on, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. We've talked about the fact they've just been kind of in constant combat since they left Side 7, which has to wear on the crew. Mm-hmm. And I think we start to see the effects of that in the next episode on not only the crew, but of the civilians who they're sheltering. One thing that's constantly hanging over the head of the crew and the civilians here is the threat of constant death. They're always at risk for it, and it could happen at any moment, which we as an audience know that it's never going to really come down because, well, these are the protagonists here. And I think at least in the early going, they have a a certain degree of plot armor, Mm -hmm. right? Like they're not going to kill everyone off the crew of the White Bays within the first 10 episodes. Yeah. We can at least expect that much. But... Not from an audience uh, perspective, but from the perspective of the characters, it's got to be thinking, when's it going to come? We've been lucky to get this far. When is the moment we're actually blown to pieces? Mm-hmm. And they also, they, they note through the series, too, how lucky they've been. Either Char says it or the crew of the White Base kind of says it. You know, I can't believe we've kind of made it this far. Like, Char's like, I can't believe I can't defeat these guys. And then uh, Bright's like, I can't we- believe we... Out. Out. Yeah. I guess. Maneuver Char. Char, right. Or, like, got through the atmosphere. And, I mean, I think a big degree of it comes uh, between the Xeon and Federation conflict here is that um, they're coming from very different, um, I guess, positions in these conflicts. The Federation has a superior technology with the white base and the Gundam, but Xeon definitely has more resources, so mm-hmm. they're both kind of justified in thinking they're lucky at this point, but it kind of evens out, I suppose. One thing that's pretty prominent in this episode, and I kind of loathe how it was done, is, well, it's basically the main thing of the episode, is the old people. yeah. What's your take on the elderly? I, I think it was uh, they were trying to get across a theme, and they thought this might be a good plot point to do it, and it just wasn't at all. So, to me, it just seems like they neglected to show us the refugees and civilians so long that this is kind of their way of like, oh yeah, there's still people on board. Yeah. Like, they could have very easily almost, I mean, it would have been weird, and you could have mentioned it later. They could have gotten rid of them without, like, saying anything. Like, Or at least if they're going to have this as a plot point, they could have built it up over time. But it just comes out of nowhere. Yeah. And, and I it, mean, the, wait, the civilians wanted to, after, um, after Luna 2, the civilians got back on the white base. You know, Luna 2, didn't uh, Joaquin say, like, they will be transferred to some kind of federation? That's that's right. That was the case. I mean, I don't know why they got back on the ship. That's not really well explained. They could yeah. have easily left them at Luna 2. Exactly. And then Luna 2 could have 
gotten them to Earth somehow, or maybe another colony within Federation territory. So if you take that to its logical point, these refugees have no reason to be complaining. They chose this. Exactly. And they could have built, like I said, they could have built it up over an episode. They could have, you know, they could have had some complaints and some back and forth, maybe at the beginning or the end of the episode, that kind of is somewhat resolved for that conflict but kind of leaves something left over to where it would build up into this but we don't have that they just they're just like old people and they've taken the and it, kids it makes you think where, where's the what about the rest of the people like i don't know why they focused people. on the old people specifically it seems so strange to me and there's tons of them yeah <laughs> yeah i mean we're the only people who were able to get out of side seven like the people on the ship piloting it and I don't know, a nursing home? Yeah, well, maybe, uh, generally, I guess old people are neglected in society, so maybe they were trying to make it like like the old people in our society, which we kind of neglect anyway, these regular civilians are neglected during war. Well, I mean, I feel like here uh, that maltreatment is, you know, proven to be cor- the correct decision. <laughs> Because why are old people neglected? Well, they're old and crazy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what are the old people doing here? They're acting old and crazy. <laughs> and we've seen their other children. Why are these three just hanging out? They're, they're comedy relief, comic relief. I guess doesn't. You know what? Let's not talk about the kids. Yeah, no, it's not worth it's not worth the effort. <laughs> it's not worth it, right? They're gonna have their own episodes. Of <laughs> Bravo's later. their adopted mother. Yeah, Amra. Um, well, Amra's not really friends with anyone right now. No, so he's in kind of his own place. Yeah, I don't like. I mean, what do you think about the relationship between Frabo and Amra here? The, the non-existent one. It's a very cliche anime childhood friend. Uh, relationship. But I like it to the degree that once they got on the ship, they're not, like, conjoined at the hip. Like, they're no. very clearly doing their own things, and she's not pining for him, or he, she's not, like, always like, Amro, Amro. Yeah, but there's we, definitely we some, have sail- we there's have some sexual tension there, though. Oh, is there? I think so, yeah. I, they got a little, like, that hug at the end, you're, you're talking about that moment, you can... You're right. The energy just yeah. crackled between them. Uh, um, so going back to characters here, um, Amro definitely shown that he can do more than just pilot the Gundam. He told Bright that he single-handedly rigged and uh, created the um, did the math on a trajectory by combining the energy of the White Base's cannon to the launching platform that will send the core fighter with enough velocity to get no orbit, go behind enemy lines, mm-hmm. and get to the Federation forces. And I guess that's just in his spare time because he clearly didn't sleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, kid's smart. Yeah. <laughs> and I wonder how much more of this we'll see with him using his, his smarts and technology um, going forward. I don't know if that's going to be a big trope or if it was just used as early justification to why he's such a good natural pilot is because he knows his way around this sort of thing, but it'll be cool to see, I suppose. Yeah. 
going on um, characters, like we said, the civilians are kind of more trouble than they're worth. Yeah, they don't from come, a storytelling. They have to come across as likable for us to sympathize with their their view, and they just, like you said earlier, they don't come off as likable at all. Yeah, like <laughs> they do a they do a protest as sit like they basically do <laughs> yeah, a sit, sit in, in with, yeah. the, with the bridge while they're fighting. Yeah, while well, Amaru is being told to come back to the ship, or you might die. Uh, and. Right sitting there, he's like, you know, he's like, what are y'all doing in here? We're not leaving. Or, um, we need you to promise me or promise us that you're going to take us on to Earth and, you know, we'll be able to go our own way in mm-hmm. the middle of a place we're not familiar with. I don't yeah. know what their plan is long term. But Bright basically says, yeah, get the fuck out. <laughs> Whatever. A promise is made. Mm-hmm. And they sh- they're like, we're not leaving until it's done. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. No. Easily the worst part of the series by far is this subplot. Unless you want to counter that. No, I can't. Other characters uh, just not quite making sense out of nowhere. Kai, uh, what the fuck, man? Everyone's kind of on edge here, and you're uh, you're saying some pretty, uh, pretty anxiety-causing shit. Like I said... Like Amaro, Kai has his rough edges, but he becomes a better character. And at the end, you you may like him. I may like him. You may like him. That's but not he, a definitive. You have to like him in Zeta. There's no way you don't like him in Zeta Gundam, because he's just like, everybody else is whining, but he gets stuff done in Zeta Gundam. He, he, he becomes a really good... He's what is his technical role? Is he just like... Well, I mean, what's Hayato's role? What's any of their roles? I mean, is it really just the skeleton crew... Coming in and like whatever needs to be done. Yeah, pretty much. The only people with dedicated roles are those two uh, two nerds who sit at the the. Um, Do we ever know their names? We don't know. We never find out their names. They're the nav. I guess they're navigators technically. Without them, would the white base even function properly? I mean, they they serve important roles, but they're not named characters. Uh, and Sailor just does whatever. Yeah, Sailor just comms, I guess. Yeah, and what was well in this one? Kai armed the missiles. He just walks up to the to this little platform and he's like, I got the missiles locked. Who taught him that? <laughs> to the extent anyone has a defined role. Maybe the on white the base was so uh, revolutionary because it was like a Mac or something, you know? It's just anybody could use <laughs> anybody it. Anybody could use it. Uh, it's funny. Uh, but um, yeah, he's kind of saying some upsetting shit to people and they don't really like it. Uh, I think his first comment is Bright's going to keep running away from the enemy. And he kind of does that in the presence of Reed, which really undermines Bright's authority in this situation. It just seems, I, I don't I can't, know. I can't excuse his behavior in this <laughs> episode. Yeah, he's just being a shithead. <laughs> you think part of it's from his own stress yeah, in the situation? That's, so Amaro goes off on his own. Kai makes really terrible jokes. Okay, jokes. Or comments, just... Inappropriate at the times there. So yeah. His other one, though, I mean, I think Amro, or, like, I, I believe Mirai or Salish trying to check up on Amro because when they went through the, with the plan to launch him, the G-forces actually knocked him out. So mm-hmm. he's passed out in the core fighter, just zooming along. Thankfully, still with his control stick, taking the core fighter up. Well... 
if you see right when he wakes up, though, he has his hands off the, the control stick. Uh, so he's just kind of gliding. At the, well, I mean, no, he's still, the control stick's still in the up position, so he's still going up. Right. But he's... Yeah, yeah right. If, if something would have happened or it would have, like, slumped over, <laughs> he would have taken a nosedive. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, yeah, Mirai or Sayla is trying to get in touch with him there. I believe it's Sayla, and Kai's just like, oh, maybe he got shot down. And she goes, there's no time for jokes. Yeah. Who thinks that's a joke? And who, who says that? Oh, Kai, Kai, does. Kai does. Yeah. And then finally it culminates. I forgot. What was the last comedy set? I'm not actually sure, but he gets punched. Yeah. Bright punch. Mm-hmm. Better? A lot more of those to come. Ah, uh, well. Do you think abuse is a theme we need to discuss here? Is it ever okay to hit maybe somebody not, on your ship? Maybe not right now. Not right now. Not right now, because I think Kai definitely deserved it. So, you know it was less abuse because he punched him and didn't slap him. Yeah. I don't know what it, what it is about the slap, but, like, when a man punches another man, that's, that's deserved. That's doing your due diligence, I guess. That's how it's supposed to be. But, like, you just get slapped. That's, that's kind of cruel. It's definitely uh, putting someone in their place. Yeah, I, it's it's a dominance move. Mm-hmm. It doesn't help that Kai gives him that really shit-eating grin, too, <laughs> when he punches him. Okay, Bright, I get it. Do you, Kai? I don't think you do. I'm yeah. not sure you've learned a lesson here. So, another thing is, with Bright, it's kind of interesting to see that he doesn't have the full respect of the crew. Yeah. He's still not... I mean, he's not even a captain here. He's just a guy currently commanding the ship. Well, technically it's Reed, but in the absence of a higher authority here, it's been Bright, even though he's not technically an officer yet. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways, that's how everyone else sees him, is not as Captain Bright or anything yet. They more see him as, you know, Bright. They just call him by his last name for Mm -hmm. all intents and purposes. And I think that's a major reason why Kai gets away speaking so casually to him about it. He's mainly just this figure at the center of everybody to where people just kind of need to bounce ideas off of him, I feel like. You think Bright might have been partially inspired by the um, Captain uh, Captain Kirk to some degree? Is that an appropriate time period? Like Yeah, oh, definitely, because... Star Trek basically, I think, informed any kind of science fiction show for, you know, pretty much Ever. all... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just wondering, because I see a lot of similarities with their roles, I guess, in their own perspective uh, shows. I just know the movies, mainly, uh, sorry to say, so I can't really say much about his character in the original series. Yeah, me neither. So, so, yeah, anyone want to comment on maybe some possible influences here, feel free to. Um, Sayla, she's really starting to become a form, the form of support in Amro's life at the moment. And it makes sense both from a logistical Wait, role. what? What? What was that you said? Sayla's becoming the main form of support for Amro. You think so? I think she. it's almost out of necessity because she's the one always communicating with them. And oftentimes, I've seen so far, she's the one sort of saying, it's all right, you got this, we need to survive, you've got to do it. Or Okay, okay. She's the one pushing them on. They're just little, they're little moments, I guess I didn't really, I, I, I didn't really notice any more than her just kind of doing her job, 
you know, the fact that she would just be in touch with Amuro more was just because he was mostly out of the ship more. But I, I well, I, I think she is just kind of doing doing her job to a degree. But mm-hmm. in doing her job, her job is basically to guide him in a lot yeah, of ways. Yeah, that's true. As the communication, she really aced up between him and Bright. And that's probably a person he talks to almost more often than anyone else, except maybe, like, the other pilots. Yeah. Uh, other character moments. Dren, we, we mentioned him before, but I feel like... I didn't really, I didn't really notice him until you pointed him out. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you called him Charles Lackey, and I felt that did him a disservice. <laughs> he is far more than that. I mean, I feel like the Xeon forces would cease to function without Dren there. <laughs> Just remind me of some of Dren's uh, feats, though. He's coordinating everything that Char's not. Like, when Char goes off to pilot his own Zaku and get out there with the gun, Dren's left behind to, like, organize and yeah, I guess you're right. form up everyone else. Dren's often improvising within Char's scheme, so you got to give him a lot of credit there. And apparently Char trusts him with almost everything. Yeah. Like, even his personal thoughts about what he thinks of Garma. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, Dren. Yeah, and, and Char's not the person who would let that kind of stuff slip. He's very aware of his image in, in order to achieve his goals, so... I think he's just found... Someone in Dren who he can rely on. Yeah. And someone who's not going to try and challenge him either. I think that's an important part of their relationship. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That Dren respects, admires him. He's a second-hand man. And he can rely on him to get most stuff done. That's all I have on Dren. Yeah, I've got nothing else. In yeah. <laughs> I didn't know who he was until you pointed <laughs> out. Anyways, um, and lastly, there was something I kind of noticed here um, with Hayato. He has a continued sort of anger toward Amro. I know that we haven't really seen those two interact since the first episode, but here, Hayato just kind of comes out of nowhere in like these last few episodes as far as being part of the crew. It it seemed to me that within the first two, when everyone was getting their assigned positions, he just sort of shows up. You never see him himself get on the ship, which is something I've noticed. And then in episode three, he's, just, he's, he's got the blue jacket on like everyone else. Yeah. But this is the first time we really see him and Amro react, except this one time where Amro blew him off when he was trying to congratulate him for saving their lives. <laughs> so as someone who hasn't seen really any of this series, is that going to be a continued theme? Sort of what? A conflict between him and Amro or no? No, not really. Um... So it might have just been a moment here. And the moment I'm talking about is Amro is ready to go off in the core fighter. He's getting ready. The plans have been made for that. And Hayato comes with the news of the hostage situation. So ridiculous. And he says, Amro, your best friend from childhood has been, you know, taken hostage by these old people. Aren't you worried? And he's pretty, pretty animated about that. And Amro's just like, nah, they got Bright and Sailor here. Should be able to take care of it, Hayato. Maybe Amuro just knows this plot point is as stupid as we think it is. <laughs> you think? <laughs> like, I almost expected Amuro to say in that moment, Hayato, they're like 80. <laughs> <laughs> just take their oxygen away from them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And um, 
Right resolves the situation pretty quickly without violence. Uh, I feel like violence would have discouraged any continued disobedience. <laughs> they basically come in, him, Sela, Ryu, and Hayato. I don't know who gave him a gun, but he's got one. <laughs> and they have a standoff. Then they realize the old people probably aren't in any real position to hurt the kids anyway, and they don't need guns mm-hmm. to kick their ass, I would assume. Yeah. I mean, Bright could probably take, what, five of those old guys by himself? Yeah, and I think he realizes they're, they're not going to hurt Frau, Bo- Frau Bo or the kids. So. It's like the most impotent hostage situation I've ever seen. Yeah, it's really just to, you know, get him a few minutes to listen to them, and Bright listens to them, and then... He says, y'all are being ridiculous. Yeah. Like, I can't let you go here. These I'm in the s- middle of, a, of an operation here. I'm going right. to go back to that. I'm doing the best I can. If you have any more meaningless bullshit, when we stop <laughs> fighting off this endless Zeon attack, I might address it. <laughs> Man, they, they get no breaks on the white base. No. Well, do you have any other comments you wanted to talk about as far as uh, these two episodes go? Uh, yeah, I, I was thinking about it more, and I think the jetpack thing, what, making it more cool and also probably more practical in a realistic sense, but now that they have they have the Gundams with jetpacks now yeah. uh, in, in the other series, so they don't have to animate running on the ground and fighting on the ground. They can just, you know... Make them flying, yeah. and just put a you know a scrolling background, and then them fighting, which is probably saves money. But um, and it still looks pretty good. But yeah. I think you're right. The whole running, thinking about it, even in those shows where they are on the ground, you always see the torso and then them moving. You don't really see the feet moving. At all. Yeah. So, I guess to a degree, the animation quality that happened in episode 6 can somewhat be excused in that regard. Yeah. Oh! It just looks kind of clunky, too, I think. There is one last thing I forgot. Hmm. The aerial battle between Amro and Char. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because they are free-falling. Free-falling for 20 seconds, got to fight. That was some point-break shit right there. Yeah, that was cool. You're gonna jump out of an airplane or uh, out of a spaceship without a parachute. Oh no! And it's just so clear that Char has an outmatch in this fight. Yeah. For as much as they, um, for as much as it's been a rivalry thus far, Char clearly has more experience. And even though Amro has done well in space, him trying to deal with the idea of gravity and free falling, are clearly things Char's. I mean, he, he does take out those those dopes, though, or dops, whatever they are. Yeah, he does, definitely. Which is, you know, probably takes a lot of skill. It does take a lot of skill. I agree with you. But I'm saying, what are we measuring Amro on this, on his skill so far? We're not measuring by how well he takes out Mooks. We know he's that good. Yeah. We're, we measure his skill based on how he competes with Char. And I think in this case, Char... I think that's subjective. That's, that's subjective. I, you know, I, you know, you can certainly measure it with how he takes out mooks. I guess because they're, mo- they're, you know, we've seen that it's it's seen as difficult to take out one. So there's there's a level of of difficulty when taking out one. I'm not trying to disparage anything Amro's done. Yeah, I'm just saying in terms of his, I guess, ability compared to Char's. I feel like Char did get the better of this encounter based on the fact he has dealt with more environments and all Amro's done so far is space combat. Yeah. 
and Char just kind of, I guess, crowns his little uh, aerial battle with that nifty gliding around, shooting missiles thing at the end. It mm-hmm. was sweet. Oh, one last thing we do want to get to is our listener feedback. We did have an email this week, and I was very happy about that. And it comes from Alex. So Alex has emailed us twice so far, and I'm going to go ahead and read off his email. Episode 3 was great. I think I'm going to start following along. I don't recall, but is it there a scene where Char noticed improvement in Amro's piloting abilities? And yeah, we did comment on that one last episode. Char clearly notices a change, and I guess there's sort of a tension there. We agreed that um, that he knows every time he goes into battle with Amro, it's going to be harder and harder because he's getting better. Mm-hmm. And he, Alex goes on to say that they're rivals, but they respect and fear one another. And I think that's an important distinction. We keep saying rivals, and I think rival has certainly a different connotation to what they actually are enemies mm-hmm. and they're definitely um always battling against one another but mm-hmm. in this regard the respect and fear that he talks about i feel those are important points one at the end of the day these two men could very well kill each other and that's what they are trying to do mm-hmm. that's what the, there's never been any pulled punches in the fights between these two mm-hmm. that was one of my big complaints about Gundam Seed was the constant, like, oh, should we shoot each other? Should we not? I don't know. And I like that series, don't get me wrong. But here, we don't have qualms. Char and Amro, as many times as they've tried to fight each other, one can't get the edge. And I think that's what makes it exciting is they keep pushing, but no one can land that, that killing blow. Mm-hmm. And also that Char seems to specifically respond uh, to Amro. Garm is just going for the white base, but Char, it started out as just going for the white base, but you see, like, Amro goes out, Char most likely will go out. Like, uh, in this last episode, I think the only reason that Char disengaged from his, um, what was it, the re-entry capsule into Izaku was called, he saw Amro jumping off of the white base. Right. So... He, he see like, whenever the Gundam is out, he's like, well, I should, I, I have a feel like this need to engage it for some reason myself. Right. It's very, it's becoming very personal with him. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just because they've done this dance so many times. It's almost like going through the motions. Yeah. Well, that's all we have for today. I think these were two middling episodes so far. To the degree of which um, we compare it to the previous five. Mm-hmm. And it's mainly the subplot there. I think it really drags down episode seven. Yeah. And that wraps us up. If you have any questions or comments or want to get in on the discussion, please email us at themechacast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Stitcher or SoundCloud and rate us on iTunes.